0: I got a call from uh, a family in India uh, who we had met uh, three years ago. And when we met them three years ago, one of the things the Lord said into their lives was that someone's going to come into your life and say to you that I want to send you on a trip abroad and I'll pay for your entire airfare and I'll pay for your hotel, for your food and accommodation. That was in 2006. And um, last week, a person comes to them and it's a family of four people and says to them, uh, I'd like to send you to Malaysia and Singapore and I'd like to pay for the entire trip, I'd like to pay for all the hotels and then I'd like to pay for, the f- pay for the food. Now, why am I saying this to you? Sometimes when you look at the words that have been spoken over your lives by wh- whoever, you may think nothing is happening. This took three years, folks, but it came to pass. I'd suggest that you occasionally go home and look at things that have been spoken over your life. Because uh, you have to remind yourself, because it does come to pass. This took three years. And I got a call from them saying um, um, that we are going and the person's paying for the entire trip for four people, man. Took three years. They'd almost forgotten it. So go back and check, because many of the things spoken over your lives will come to pass. But live in the hope and in the faith of it. Because when we don't believe what God has said, sometimes that acts as a barrier from us receiving things in exact time. Just thought I'll drop that in. Okay, here goes Unprecedented living, principles of glory, and we are talking about Aaron's rod. Um, That's what we we started this um, two weeks ago. Uh, here's our premise. For those of us who weren't here or have forgotten, the Bible says that the ark used to be the carrier of God's glory. So the priests would carry the uh, the ark upon their shoulders. Uh, they'd step into the Jordan, and the Jordan would part. Um, the ark was where the glory or the w- what's w- what's another way of defining glory? Sue, go ahead. <laughs> Goodness, what else? Power. It's God's goodness, his reputation, his splendor, his weight, his, uh, his nature, his character, all wrapped into one is called his glory. Everything. His reputation, splendor, weight, glory, uh, nature, character, influence, all of it is encompassed in this one word called glory or kabod. Kabod means weight of all that he is. And the ark used to be the carrier of God's glory. But we now know that, who's the ark now? We. We are the carriers of God's glory. We as a corporate body. Folks, most of the things we'll be talking about can apply and will apply to our individual lives. But never forget, we need to see things as a corporate body. We are a new man. We are a new man. The Bible talks about Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 to 17 says, so that you may be built into the full stature of Christ, that you may be built into a new man. We are that. Which is why when uh, uh, Lorian said, did you write the song? It is true that I wrote the song, but my response was deliberate when I said, it is a song from this house. Because that song would not be a reality if it didn't come out of what God is feeding us. He broke the bread about being sent two weeks ago and we shared in it. It is ours, our house. Got to begin to think like that, folks. Got to begin to think like that. Um, the focus is the body and the new man. And the thing is, when we focus like that, no, it begins to filter and percolate and get deposited in our lives also. That's how it works. Um, Hebrews 9 verse 4 is where we found out that the Ark had three things in it if you want to turn to Hebrews 9 verse 4 Hebrews 9 4 the Ark had three things in it Uh, reading from verse 4 or verse 3 9 3 behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. And it says there, this Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And in the last two weeks or more, we have covered the stone tablets, we've covered uh, the jar of manna and what it represents. And you can pick up the CD if you don't remember or weren't here. And now we are going to talk about Aaron's staff. Uh, just want to say that this is the kind of message I would like someone else to preach on my behalf. And as we go on, you'll kind of see why. This is the kind of message where you'd prefer a, a, a someone who comes from outside and s- preaches it on my behalf. But <laughs> that's not the way it works now anymore. So we're not... I just thought i will throw that in. Uh, let's read uh, the background of Aaron's uh, staff. Let's go to uh, Numbers chapter 17. Number 17. Number 17. Yes. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name. For there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting, in front of the testimony where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. To find the background, go to chapter 16 and uh, go to... Um. verse 16 uh, chapter 16 Um. no let's go to chapter 16 verse 1 to 4 look at what it says chapter 16 verses 1 to 4 Korah son of Izar the son of Kohath the son of Levi and certain Reubenites Nathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, become, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy and we will have that person come near him the man he chooses he will cause to come near him you Korah and all your followers are to do this take censers tomorrow put fire and incense in them the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy you Levites have gone too far now come back to 17 and let's continue from verse 6 of chapter 17 so Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders and gave and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. And Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. The next day Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them And each man took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Moses did just as the Lord commanded. The Israelites said to Moses, we will die. We are lost. We are all lost. Anyone who even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? Why did they react like that? Go to verse 32, chapter 16, verse 32. Chapter 16, verse 28. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. So that's the background of the story and uh, we needed to know that because as we talk about Aaron's rod, this is where... The whole idea came from. So basically Aaron's rod if you were to if someone were to ask you and say so what's Aaron's rod about? Aaron's rod first it represented the authority of the father in the house. Aaron's rod represented the authority of the father of each house. Each house was told listen go and get your staff each staff is to represent The father of a tribe. And so Aaron's rod in this case represents the authority of the father of the house. Okay. And it also was placed as a signal or a red flag against bitterness, against rebellion and against obstinacy of the sons of the house. So let me say this again. The rod represents... The authority of the father of the house, of the father of the house and it also was supposed to be a red flag or a um, signal against rebellion, obstinacy and Bitterness from or of the sons of the house. So that's, uh, at its very base, that's what it represents. Aaron's rod represented on one hand the authority of the father of the house, but when it was kept in the ark, it was supposed to represent The rebellion, it was not supposed to represent, it was supposed to be a signal or a red flag against rebellion, obstinacy, and the bitterness of the sons of the house. Any questions? Comments? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, a signal or or a uh, or a please beware. Like a, okay. Yeah, like a kind of a yeah, like a reminder in a negative sense, not in a sign. yeah that don't like a warning sign. Um, so that's what uh, the Bible says it was supposed to do. Any questions with regard to this? See, folks, th- there is co-equality among all believers. We've talked about that. All believers are now priests and kings. But one of the mistakes Korah made was he goes and says to uh, Moses in chapter 16, verse 3 or 4. Chapter 16, verse 3. Numbers chapter 16, verse 3. Look at it. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Folks, Korah was right in his um, initial statement. The entire community is holy. He wasn't making a false statement there. It was a correct statement. We are all priests and kings. There's an equality among believers today. There's no division between clergy and laity. That, That doesn't exist anymore. Like I love saying, the day Christ died and the curtain was tore apart, the Levites ran out of a job. Suddenly, Israel's priesthood did not have a job. They were supposed to lead people into the Holy of Holies. Now the Holy of Holies was exposed. But as much as there is a co-equality of believers, we need to understand that God sets, for the sake of the house, a a hierarchical order that does not have to do with rank and importance, but has to do with divine order. You'll see that in the Godhead too. Father, Son and Spirit are co-equal. But we know from, for instance, John 14, 28, that Jesus said the Father is greater than I. It is not to say that God the Father is somehow stronger and more powerful than Jesus the Son. No. We know without a shadow of a doubt that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are Co-equal. But the father is first among equals. This is an old principle that God has been trying to develop throughout, but occasionally we who have postmodern westernized or easternized mindsets do not like the whole idea. Because co-equality and uh, the democratic way of doing things is preferred. And as we talk about it more, you'll see what I mean. Any questions? Preach on. F- guys, feel free to question. Oh, hey, I'm not sure. Any questions? See, when God establishes a hierarchy, it is not for ruling folks. It's for establishing order. uh, And as you go further, we'll see how God fleshes it out. But we need to understand that God does not operate without order. God does not operate without order. Unfortunately, what has happened, please, here's another thing. Why are we talking about this? You know, I don't know whether you saw this on global TV, but there's a family that has bought a house in the valley, I don't know where. Here's what happened. They bought the house for $126,000. They thought they were getting a good deal. What had happened was, they had foundations laid till the steps. And then when the part that is right under the house, some of you saw it, right? Right under the house, the foundations are faulty. So what is happening is, they can't even shut their front door now. Because the house is beginning to sink. You can see the paneling on the wall begin to warp. The house is at an angle. Why? Because the foundations are not right. They... um, um, Evaluated their house and they found that now it costs $60,000. They are a low income family who bought a brand new house and now they won't even get 60 grand for it. Why? Because the foundations were faulty. But the house is new. The house is new and useless. uh, At one point they said, we don't even know if this will become a death trap because it might collapse on them. Imagine the door not shutting because the house is beginning to keel over. See, that is why we are talking about this. Because if we want to build this house right, we have to get these principles in. Otherwise, four years down the road, we'll all be walking like this. Hey, how are you, Diana? Good to see you. Can't do that. Because ruling carries in it um, lordship and authority. And Jesus very clearly said at one point, the the people who are leaders in the world lord it over their uh, subjects and they rule over them. I have not called you to do that. Have you noticed that I am your servant and yet you call me master? So... when we talk about ruling, there seems to be a, and that's not it. That's not what he's calling us to. Uh, um, it's John somewhere. I'll I'll, I'll get. It. It, it's on your sheet, um, but I don't exactly. Uh, let me just check where it is. No, it's not fourteen twenty-eight. It's Luke twenty-two twenty-three. Luke twenty-two twenty-three. We'll actually get there a little later. Basically, a guy called Korah and his um, cohorts decided that Moses doesn't need to lead us anymore. We are as holy as him, so why can't we lead him? Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And he's, he, he, instead of arguing with them, falls down on his face and says, I can't handle this. And they also said that he was the one who had to set himself up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, they actually said that. They accused him of that. Than yeah. Than Recognizing God's, God's, God's choice. And so Moses says, sorry Matt, just one sec. So Moses says, okay, let God decide. God decides, one, by making sure the rebellion was swallowed. Two, he says, let me settle this once and for all. Tell all the 12 tribes and their fathers to bring a staff from each of the tribes. So we decide once and for all which tribe is to, which person out of which tribe will uh, from now on lead. And that's how Aaron's rod takes and it begins to bud blossom and bear almonds, which we will talk about. Go ahead, Matt. Um, Meekness is, um, we talked about it ages ago. Gosh, I'm forgetting my definitions. Meekness is the strength that a horse has under the control of its master. You wouldn't call a horse that's standing under its master weak. But you'll be surprised at how you can go and rub its nose and it won't do nothing to you. And yet it could take you out with one kick. You've experienced that with cows. No, 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 I'm not kidding. Matt and I have talked about it. Remember you told me once you... Yeah, the calf that kicked you. Sorry, I not the cow. That, that cow. Meekness, is not Meekness is a strength that is not aggressive but stands its ground. It's reined in. It's under control. Like a yeah, like a racehorse. Just you let it go and it can really fly, but it doesn't even chomp at the bits when it's told to stand still. Can you say that again? Not, not aggressive but... Not aggressive, but r- what did i say but stance stands in strength yeah yeah and then he changed remember most of our uh, psychol uh, most of our understanding of moses comes from charlton heston so make sure that you're not thinking of him when you think of moses all our understanding of moses comes from the 10 commandments movie it was on last night too Oh, then you're fortunate because I mean I had so many. I thought Moses had done so many things which he really hadn't done, but in the movie he did. So so I thought it sounded right, but it's not true. But he changed. He was a man of great. I mean Jesus said he was a type of me. So yeah, he was the meekest man that walked the face of the earth. So uh, please understand that there is a hierarchical order um, in the priesthood. Of believers and I've said this before God selects faulty inadequate man by divine design God selects faulty inadequate man by divine design and it has nothing to do with democracy succession reputation pedigree got nothing to do with that nothing to do with reputation success succession pedigree or uh, anything of that sort and amazingly he appoints men and women to the church to equip the church or men and women to the church to lead the church. Nothing to do with democracy, succession, reputation or pedigree. Unfortunately, however, the <laughs> you can't use unfortunately and however. So let's go with however. However, since the Old Testament, you can't use however and since either. Unfortunately, how do you get around this? <laughs> Forget both. Since the Old Testament, man has all. Diana is now stuck at. Why can't we use those words? Get over it. Sadly, since the Old Testament, man has always tried to usurp or take over leadership in the church through structures and methods that are ungodly. Folks, it's an old, old, old problem. Ever since the Old Testament, man has been trying to usurp or take um, authority in the church through ungodly methods or ungodly structures. But if we as a people, we as a church, want to represent God's glory, God's reputation, God's nature, God's character if we want to represent that accurately we have to understand that the principle of Aaron's rod applies today as much as it applied in the Old Testament if we want to make sure that four years from now the doors of this church will shut and open and will not get stuck and will not be at an angle this has to be established because culture and time does not change these these eternal principles folks and if we violate these principles then basically the earth consumes just like that man's house is being consumed because the earth is swallowing that house up so let's look at some orders or systems in the church today that and figure out if they are divine or defective please understand that Sometimes people set up a certain system in a church and it's based on their understanding of Scripture, but I'd like to suggest to you that their understanding is inaccurate. Just because I understand something doesn't mean it's right. I've got to understand it correctly. Yeah, I remember a girl who went for a driving test and she didn't know that her indicator was a wiper. So she's sitting there for the test and she's got the guy next to him and he says, give your right indicator and the wiper starts working. I mean... <laughs> You need to understand it correctly before. And the other thing I want us to understand is, um, folks, as we talk about this, you you may think of churches, you may think of pastors, you may think of people, and you may think, man, they've got it completely wrong, or they've got it completely right. Remember that we are not to throw spears at people. That's Saul's job. We are not Saul-like. We are supposed to be David-like. So even as we expose defective systems and dismantle them, Make sure that we do not throw spears at those who disagree with us. Because that would be exactly what King Saul would have done. We can't afford to do that. So let's look at some of the uh, orders or structures in churches today in terms of ruling. One, the first one is called, and you must have heard of it, it's called Episcopalian. Episcopalian. That's how the papal structure works. Where there's a pope, there are some cardinals, there are some archbishops and then there are some bishops and then there are some reverends, and then there are some deacons. What happens in a system like this is that um, the subjects are cut off and are in bondage to the king. It's the pope who decides what goes and what does not. This system has nothing to do with any godly order in the church. You cannot have one big honcho sitting and telling you what to do from Rome or from Bombay. It's a defective system. It releases people who are in bondage to a king who is seated far away. That's not how we are supposed to function. And that's a common system in some churches. It doesn't have to be Catholic, folks. It can be a church that is uh, not Catholic and yet has a structure where there's a head someone and he issues, decrees, and edicts that have to be followed by the group of churches under. Not the way to go. The second order is um, Presbyterian. Presbyterian. I'm not talking about any denomination. I'm talking about systems. Presbyterian. The Presbyterian system is basically where you have elders telling the leader how to run the church. You have elders telling the leader how to run the church. This is common in many, 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 many churches. The elders tell the leader how to run the church. And what happens then is that it's an oppressive system that's run by consultation. So if the leader wants to do something, I'll have to go and first sit at this table and say, you know, I feel God saying that I need to do this, this, and this. And then you will all vote to decide whether God is actually, whether we should go ahead with what God is saying. It's ridiculous, man. This is exactly what happened with Samuel. Matt, am I still on? Or Okay. Uh, this is exactly what happened with Samuel and Israel. God told Samuel, I will be their leader. And the elders of Israel, I've given you the scriptural reference there. The elders of Israel come and say to Samuel, no, 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 no. You are old and your children are not following God. We want a king like the other nations. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a defective system. It was, it's not a godly system. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's not a godly system. I'm not saying a church that adopts a system will not do relatively well. But who's, who wants relatively well when we are talking about Christ, the Son of God who is perfect and whose ways are perfect? And who paid the price for the body? Whose bride are you messing around with? I mean, we are talking about the church being the wife of Christ. The st- we two make the church organization? Yep. The third system is congregational. Congregational is where there is democratic rule. The whole congregation decides whether we should do something or not do something. The whole congregation decides. You know, unfortunately, whenever the crowd gets together to decide something, they usually choose Barabbas. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. When the crowd got together, they chose Barabbas. And so, whenever there's a congregational model where things are democratically voted on, so that uh, the church will decide through a democratic election, a democratic um, choice, whether we should do something or not do something, I'm telling you, it is so packed with uh, stuff that'll undo what God may want to do. Yeah, the the church in Laodicea in Revelations three fourteen. The word Laodicea means the rights of the people. That's what the word means. Laodicea means rights of a people. And the, what was the problem with the church of Laodicea? The church of Laodicea was lukewarm. And I'm suggesting to you that it is impossible when the majority decides on something for anything to be without compromise, folks. You have to come to a happy compromise to gain votes. That's how uh, politicians win. You know, I know pastors and I've been in churches where... um, There are good men and women, and they're making sacrifices for the church, but ultimately, regardless of sacrifices they might make for the goodwill of the church, the destiny of the church is decided by either a democratic decision or by a group of elders who may not be in the same page. Just the way it is. Then there is the independent leader. The independent leader is an authority unto himself. The independent leader is an authority unto himself. He does what he wants and he controls through charisma or intimidation. An independent leader is an authority unto himself. He does what he wants and he controls through charisma or through intimidation. People like that end up being the head and the husband of the church. When it's actually Christ who is the head and the husband of the church. Independent leaders will control either through tremendous charisma, where you will follow, or through intimidation, where you're afraid to touch or say anything because you think something will happen to you. In situations like that, Christ is no longer the head of the church. They become the head of the church. In situations like that, Christ is no longer the bridegroom of the bride. They become the bridegroom. Folks, there's a difference when it comes to um, the bride of Christ. If you were getting married, I'm assuming a bride chooses a bridesmaids, right? Yeah? Yeah. But when it comes to the church, the bridegroom chooses the bride, bridesmaids for the bride. In, in the world, a bride goes and says, you, you, and you will be my bridesmaid. And then she spends a whole lot of money so that they all look the same. Uh, meaning, they all dress up the same. <laughs> Sorry. Please ignore that observation. <laughs> but but the thing with Christ as the bridegroom is that He is the one who picks the bridesmaids for His bride. He knows who to pick to equip the bride to be ready. So when we decide who will be the bridesmaids for the church, who will equip the church, through pedigree, through reputation, through degrees, through succession, through election, I'm saying to you that it is... It, it, is, it is just the exactly opposite way of going about it, folks. Any questions thus far? We have a solution, but any questions with regard to what we've said thus far? How would we know who the right people are? We'll come to that. Any questions? Okay. The Bible says that the way a church should go about setting itself up is to be autonomous. Is to be autonomous. By autonomous, I mean it should be self governing, it should be self governing, self sustaining. Self-propagating. A church should be self-governing, meaning, I mean, to begin with, I met a person recently who uh, I was sitting across and the person said, oh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a church. And I didn't have the courage to say to him that, are you sure that's what God is calling you to do? Are you sure that's what your um, gifts or uh, ability to equip is? Because as far as I know, that's not what the person is supposed to do. But the person who's sitting there and does not have a job at present and said, I think I'll start a church. And I'm saying to you, that's usually not the way to go about it. If you... If you are an equipper, you will know it even before anyone else identifies it, folks. If you are called to be a teacher, evangelist, pastor, prophet, or an apostle, I'm saying to you, before anyone else knows it, you have already known it because God clearly spoke to you. Not in a hazy dream where you saw a nose coming out and saying something. No, 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 no. Very clearly God will say, I have this for you. So you will know it. What do you do after that? You wait. Why? Because you are now appointed to the body of Christ. The body of Christ has at some point to see that in you, to recognize and at some point release you. To do what you're supposed to do. You have to wait for it to happen. Jesus waited how long? 30 years. Go ahead Matt. Self-imagined, but then he should wait till the church actually sees it. Yeah, if the body doesn't see it, if others don't come to recognize it, then there's something wrong. Because it is impossible once God has birthed that in you and put that in your DNA for it to be hidden. It'll come out, folks. It'll surely come out. The outside church meaning? No, no. No, it is. No, this is one thing. If God has called you to any of these servant um, roles, you will know it before anyone else, folks. You will know it. You will know it first. It won't be the other way around. God won't come and use someone to say, I have. No, no, no. God would have spoken to you first because these are Christ appointed things. The Bible doesn't say the Holy Spirit appoints these five services. He says Christ has appointed these five services. You will know it. The way to the way we should build is to be self-governing, self-sustaining and self-propagating. What I mean by self-sustaining is, you know one of the reasons we uh, uh, said to the North American Baptist Conference that uh, we would like to discontinue the Uh, money that you were giving us to do the church plant was exactly because of this because we wanted to be self-sustaining self-propagating is giving birth self-governing is where from within the house you now get a plurality of leaders you don't get a plurality of leadership you get a plurality of leaders An autonomous church is a self governing church, self-sustaining church, self-propagating church. And you develop a plurality of leaders, but you don't develop a plurality of leadership. Meaning, it's not, because then it goes back to all the elders sitting together and uh, trying to arrive at a consensus. I've known of situations like that, where five, six elders will sit together and they won't make a decision till all of them are agreed. That's the way of, that's not the way. I'll show you from the Bible that that's not the way. Some of us must be thinking, but how does this affect my life? Folks, it affects our lives like crazy. Because once you become part of, once you become part of this, every, the way this loaf comes together determines what filters into each life. And we'll talk about that. See, when you go to Acts chapter 15, for example, they had a problem. The Gentiles were beginning to enter the church. And the Jewish church in Jerusalem had a problem. So they come for a huge discussion. Peter also turns up for the discussion. Because Peter had just had this amazing thing that happened at Cornelius' house. Where the Gentiles started speaking in tongues and received the Holy Spirit. And you will notice that all the elders and the whole church actually turned up for this meeting. And they were having debates, discussions on this whole topic of if the Gentiles come into the church, shouldn't we circumcise them? That was the discussion. And then Peter, who is a leader and one of the prime leaders among the apostles, what does he do? He stands up and gives shares his testimony. But Peter was a leader of the apostles, but he wasn't the leader of the Jerusalem church. Even when he came to the Jerusalem church, he wasn't the one who was going to make the decision. There were elders there. Uh, the elders were discussing too, if you read Acts fifteen. And then at one point James stands up. And James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And then James says, based on the principle that God is restoring the tabernacle of David. He, th- this goes back to what we were saying last week, folks. We do not have policies. We have principles. And those principles have to be derived from the word. And James listens to the whole discussion, listens to what Peter had to say. And then he stands up and says... Based on the scripture in Psalms or somewhere where it says, I will restore the tabernacle of David and my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. I want to say now that the Gentiles will not have to go through circumcision. And then he states what has to be done. That's the way a church is supposed to work. We can all discuss, but at the end of the day, both the church and the leader has to give room to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to step back. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter in a sense what your opinion is. You have to step back and give place to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'd suggest to you the same principle applies to your homes. Get this right in the beginning when you have children. And you'll find that just as it works in this house, it'll work in your home. Where husband and wife are co-equal, but the husband is first among the equals, folks. And at the end of the day, after the children have discussed and the wife and the husband have discussed, the husband has to have the ability to step back and speak for God and make room for the voice of the Holy Spirit for the home. And the same principle applies to the house. These are scriptural principles, not policies. It's not a policy. I'm the husband and what I say is right. doesn't work that way. I love, uh, in verse 16 and 17 of Acts 15, you should read the wording. James sends a letter saying, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. That's how he words the letter. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. Because you've got to step back and let the voice, of, make room for the voice of the Spirit. Hearing the Holy Spirit is the privilege of the community, meaning us. Hearing the Holy Spirit is a privilege of the community. A leader should take advice from others, but ultimately make room for the voice of God. A leader should take um, take advice from the community, but ultimately should make room for the voice of God. That's the way it's supposed to work. And that's how we've been doing things, I'd like to suggest to you. When it came time to move from Viva Java to here. That's what happened. The Holy Sp- I mean, um, you know, Tino and I were sitting with Artie on Thursday. And Artie was saying, so why did you guys move? Why did you leave me here like this and move? And I was glad Tino was there because it was a witness. And I said, Artie, this is what God did. And I told him how the Lord spoke. And I said to him, we were happy here. We hadn't outgrown this place. I love the smell of coffee. Um, Likes everything about this place. But at the end of the day, we had to make room for the voice of the Spirit. It's the same with um, dollars that we give speakers who are coming. We don't sit and try to figure out, so is this guy really worth it or not? It is amazing how some of you have been at those meetings. We decide on a figure almost unanimously because the Spirit of God says, How about this? And uh, we won't even talk and then when we speak out that figure, it's usually the the same. Same. You make room for the voice of the spirit. There is a plurality of leaders but there's no plurality of leadership. There is one set man and we're going to talk about the set man principle next. This is why I said this is better preaching than someone else preaching (laughs) because otherwise it seems self-promoting but it's not. Set man principle. If you want to go to the next bit. Folks, every house is to have a set man. And the whole idea of set man comes from Numbers 27. Numbers 27. To think that God put Aaron's staff in the tabernacle to 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 let churches know that there is a way to do things. Set man principle. Every house is had is to have a set man. The set man concept is from Numbers 27 verses 16 and 17. Numbers 27 verses 16 and 17. And here's what it says. Numbers 27 verses 16 and 17. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord God, may the Lord the God of the spirits of all mankind appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. That's where the concept of set man comes from. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in. So Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Our usual response to stuff like that is, oh, we, we follow Jesus Christ. We don't follow man. I'd like to say to you that order here on earth is established through the agency of man. always established to the agency of man so what are the qualifications of a set man does he have to be an apostle does he have to be a prophet does he have to be a pastor teacher evangelist no 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 you have to be like david you don't need to be a title you have to be like david you have to be a man or a woman running after god's heart you have to be a hearer of god You have to be someone whose hands are skilled in war and you you have the ability, if necessary, to kill giants. You have to have a desire to build a house for God. You have to have spiritual authority. You have to be anointed by Samuel and what i mean by anointed by samuel means the 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 the, des- the purpose of god in your life to do that must be evident and must be recognized questions guys questions No questions? Any comments? Guys, don't feel scared to ask questions. This is how we build principles. Okay. Folks, a set man is a father. And it's a father that produces sons. A hireling cannot produce sons. A set man is a father. And it's a father who produces sons. A hireling cannot produce sons. You know, you can hire a pastor who has the heart of a father. Unfortunately, because he has been hired, he will not be allowed to produce children because he is hired and so he can be fired so you cannot he he doesn't have the freedom he may be a potent man but he does not now have the freedom to produce children because he has been hired by someone who decides whether he is to stay with the bride or not a father produces children a hireling does not if you turn to Judges 17 You'll see that story there. It's a very sad story. Judges 17. Judges is uh, Joshua after Joshua. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Judges 17. If hey folks, if it's getting late, just imagine this in your minds. You don't have to come this evening. Thank God we are talking about not deciding things democratically, but making room. <laughs> okay. Yeah, tug of war. Uh, if you show. Yeah, if it's in scripture, we'll do it that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, Judges 17 10. Uh, here is a guy. Called Micah. And he. This was a time when there were no prophets. uh, And judges in Israel. And he meets a Levite. And Micah says in verse 9. Where are you from? He says I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. And he says I'm looking for a place to stay. Look at verse 10. Then Micah said to him. Live with me and be my father and priest. And I will give you 10 shekels of silver a year. Your clothes and your food. Hired him to be his priest and father. But now go to um, 18... Chapter 18, verse 19. Chapter 18, verse 19. Or verse 18. Chapter 18, verse 18. Judges, chapter 18, verse 18. And it says there, when these men went into Micah's house, the same guy who hired this Levite to be his priest and father, and took the carved image, the Ephod and the other household gods, and the cast idol, the priest said to them, what are you doing? They answered him, be quiet, don't say a word, come with us, and be our father and priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and a clan in Israel as a priest rather than just one man's household? Isn't this exactly what is happening, folks? And then look at the That's even what does it say? It even and then the was <coughs> and yeah, the priest was glad. He took the ephod, the other household gods and carved him in. Went along with the people. This is unfortunately what's happening. It's happening to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of youth pastors. Who are men with a passion for God. But who need to break into a church so that they can serve and then move on to a tribe and a clan that is bigger. It's a sad thing folks. And these are men with a great passion. Do you see why we need to reform things? Otherwise we end up in a system that is not, if you held a plumb line to it, would be off. And there'll be times when we may be off, but may God send us people or send us the word so that we may hold it against us and then have the meekness to correct ourselves. So folks, make sure that you connect to a set man whose staff or rod is blossoming. Make sure this is where we talk about why it is important. How how does this all help me as an individual in the church? Make sure that you connect to a set man whose rod is blossoming because only then will the full purpose and grace of God placed in that house through the set man be yours. Let me say that again. It is important that I connect to a set man whose rod is blossoming. And we'll talk about what that means. Because only when I connect to a set man of that sort will all the purposes of God and all the graces of God through that set man for the house become mine. Numbers 17 verse 12. God. I think it's in Numbers 17 verse 12 or Numbers 11 verse 17. God says to Moses, I'm going to take the spirit that is off you and I'm going to put it on these 70. It's not because the set man suddenly becomes special. It is just that the god has ordained order in such a way that when you connect to a set man whose rod is blossoming then all the purposes of god for that house will flow through into your lives numbers 1117 and number 1712 i think it's on top of the sheet 1712 let's go check it out numbers 1712 says no must be wrong numbers try numbers 1117 Numbers 11, 17. 17, 12 is not the right verse. Numbers eleven seventeen. Yeah. Numbers eleven seventeen. Um I will God is speaking. He says, I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take off the spirit that is upon you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. What's happening is some elders had come and Moses needed help. And God took that grace that was upon Moses and put it upon the seventy so that they may have the same grace to judge properly. This is why when Jacob blessed his children he didn't say son Ryan you will be this. No he said son Ryan you and your descendants will be people who will know their times and know what to do. Daughter Lynn you are called Joseph and you will be a fruitful uh, tree that will bear plenty. Daughter Bernice you are Benjamin a ravenous wolf who will know what to do. Daughter Chris, you are Judah, you are a lion's whelp and you shall know how to put your feet on the neck of your enemies. It was to a people, a tribe, but passed down through the Father. It's important to connect to a set man whose rod is blossoming. And what do we mean by a man whose rod is blossoming, a set man whose rod is blossoming? What it means is, folks, remember when Aaron's rod was brought into um, before the people, what did they see? They saw buds. They saw blossoms and they saw almonds. It was not a static blossoming. It was buds meaning things were in continuous growth, continuous growth. And the strange thing about almonds is that the almond tree, if you look at the Hebrew meaning, is a tree of waking. And the word almond means awake. Why? Because the almond tree begins to bear fruit immediately after winter in the month of January. What is being conveyed is that when you connect to a set man whose staff is blossoming, what it means is that you get an early release of the moves, the purposes and the graces of God here on earth. You get an early release of it because it's coming through a set man who's connected. That's what it means. Which is why God showed Jeremiah a a, a tree and said, what do you see Jeremiah? And Jeremiah said, I see see a, a staff with almonds. And then God responds, good what you saw is right I am watching my word to bring it to pass in haste and why in haste because the almond tree always comes up before anything else and it was important that Jeremiah see it before others see it because if a prophet doesn't see it before others see it he cannot prophesy it would be like that skit we did where the person was lying here listening to the train going to come and then the train came and went over the person's neck and the person was still there remember the skit Kamala and I did and the rest of our team it would be that way Anne and some others. (laughs) (laughs) That was just Kamal's way of showing galloping. Oh, yeah. Um... you, the set man, w- when a set man begins to uh, b- build a house because he has Davidic or she has Davidic qualities in them, then I would say they already have what is necessary in them. And a- a- as, a- as people begin to see that, they begin to connect. That's how it works. And it's not based on numbers, it's just people connecting i mean i heard this guy recently say god does not weigh god does not count believers he weighs believers god does not count believers he weighs believers so it could be two people or it could be two thousand people but at the end of the day people begin to connect and i'm telling you yeah this message may not be popular in um Um, in general but it doesn't matter right We, uh, we need to fix things connecting to the right set man confers protection from wolves connecting to the right set man confers protection from wolves that's one of the things that happens actually when you I was surprised at this. When you connect to the right set man, the house begins to prosper financially. The house begins to prosper financially. In in scripture, in Second Chronicles 23, you will find that there was a priest called Jehoiada, J E H O A I D A, and while he was priest, there was a lady called Aselia, Queen Atalia, and she was a corrupt queen, and she ruled. And guess what Jehoiada did? He executed the queen and placed a rightful king on the throne whose name was Joash. And as soon as Joash came to the throne, he built a, he found a chest which was supposed to be used as a treasury. He built it right, left it at the door. And the Word of God says that as soon as Joash came to the power and he corrected the things that needed to be corrected, every day they would put out the chest, the chest would be full of money. And they would bring the chest in and empty it and they would put it out again. Again the chest would be full of money. And it kept happening over and over again. What principle do we derive from it? That when correct order is established and the right set man is put in place, the house begins to prosper financially. And you know I'm not a prosperity preacher. Second Chronicles 23 talks about it. 23, 11-15 to 15, and 24, 7-11. to 11. We don't have to go do fundraisers. We don't have to uh, uh, force people to give. Money comes in. Money comes in. Hey, let me throw this in. And again, I say it with meekness, folks. You know, I heard this story about how See, once you connect to, when you know you're connected to a house and you're connected to the right set man, then when you go on a mission trip or something, ask to be sent, folks. Because if the sender God has set a set man, then there is blessing in being released. I know a guy um, who went on a mission trip in Africa out of a church which is based on these principles. And the pastor called him up and said, son, where are you? And he said, I'm in the Cameroon or someone doing a mission trip. And he said, who sent you there? And he said, no, no, I just went on a mission trip. And the pastor pleaded with him. He said, son, please come back. Because if you do not get back quickly, within a week, you will catch malaria. And the pastor was not threatening. I met this pastor. He's he like Sydney. Such a meek man that you won't even notice him. But the whole idea of being sent is so important because unless we are sent, we don't go in the authority of the Father. Father. And if you don't go in the authority of the sender, what are we doing? Ryan doesn't disappear from home for days on end or say um, he goes somewhere and then calls, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, I left. No, no, no. He asks. No, that's different. That's I then it gets where a trip. yeah. I, I I I would have to know. I would have to know that I am going out now, and I know the Lord is telling me to go. I'd like to go and uh, uh, say, "Would you send me out of this house? Would you send me?" Because there's tremendous authority that comes with that, and this is not any. This is not a part of rulership or anything. This is just a divine principle, folks. That's all it is. The young man came back in a hurry. Because he was a son of the house. Which brings me to the other question. Everybody here, including me, needs to ask ourselves this. Are you a guest here? And please understand, just because you signed a covenant membership form doesn't mean uh, that you are a son or daughter in this house. Okay? You can sign a piece of paper, read it and actually sign it, but that does not make you an automatic son or a daughter. We have to ask, am I a guest in this house? Am I a consumer in this house? Am I a donor in this house? Am I a relative in this house? Am I a servant in this house? Am I a clone in this house? Am I a member of this house? Or am I a son or daughter in this house? Because if you're a son or a daughter, if I'm a son or a daughter in this house, then I have some kind of ownership here. Because it is possible to be a covenant member but not be a son. Because it's possible to be a covenant member and yet be in Adullam. Adullam was a place where people congregated to David because there was a need. Or you could be in Hebron. Hebron was a place where people congregated because there was fellowship. It had become a really strong, happy club. Or you can be sons. And each one has to ask. I have to ask myself. What am I here? Am I a guest? Am I a consumer? Am I a donor? It would be easy for me to think, oh, I'm a donor. Or am I a son in this house? The thing is, it's sons who are trained and trusted by God to step up and care for the vineyard later on. At the end of the day, folks, you can only trust sons. You can work with sons without suspicion. It is sons who are trained. It is sons who are trained and trusted by God to step up and care for the vineyard. Numbers 27, 18. Shortly after God says, I I will appoint a man who will lead you out and in. He says, Moses, look at Joshua. Joshua was a son, folks. He would wait with Moses at the tent of the meeting, would be marveling at God. And God says to Moses, take Joshua and start giving him authority Train him up because after you leave, he's going to be the one who steps up. And I strongly suggest to you, ask yourself this question. Don't look at the piece of paper or the plaque that was given by Acts 29 that may or may not be on your wall. Ask yourself, am I a guest? Am I a relative? Am I a member? Am I a clone? Am I a servant? Am I a donor? Am I a consumer? Or am I a son? Ask. Ask. I'm asking everybody to ask themselves. I have to ask myself too. It's very easy for a person who's teaching or preaching to think he's a donor or a benefactor. That's perverse. It's perverse. Nothing short of it. I have to shift in here, folks. The shift has to happen here. Because we are so used to being members, so used to being donors, servants, but being sons is a new concept for me. And if I'm a son, it also then requires that I see someone as a father in the house, which is even more difficult for me. Because I don't mind you being my pastor, but father, no, I won't give you that kind of uh, influence in my life. This is why I said it's better if someone else preaches this on behalf of me. (laughs) We will talk more about fathers and sons in the the future, folks. It's a precious theme of God, fathers and sons. Let's go to the next one, so we finish by one. Sins against the set man. Sins against the set man. How can the sons of the house sin against the set man? We talked about Aaron's rod being a warning or a red flag or a signal against rebellion, against bitterness, against obstinacy by the sons towards the father of the house. Uh, in, case we, um, in case I haven't made it clear enough, let me st- say it very simply. At this present moment in this church, I am the set man and I am the father of the house. I have to learn how to behave like a father. And if I am the father of the house, then you are the sons of the house. I do not know if we are all sons or daughters or whether we are all the other things I said. But you have to check that. I have to learn. I was telling somebody just three or four days ago, my desire now is to learn how to be a father. How to shine the shoes of uh, the children. How to be invisible because it is always the son that is made visible. When the father sent Jesus, the father was... Invisible, the son was visible. And every father will want his sons to be better than him. If Marcus does not want Ryan to do better than him, then Marcus is not his father. We'll come to that a little more. Sins against the set man. These are principles, folks. These are not policies. These are not rules. and Forget it. I don't need to put in disclaimers. Replacing set man. Um, one of the sins against set man is replacing the set man by seizing authority. Replacing the set man by seizing authority. Korah did it. Absalom did it. Jezebel did it. And trust me, you don't want to name your children after any of these three people. If you have a daughter, don't name her Jezebel. If you have a son, avoid Absalom. But Korah, Absalom, Jezebel, and there are other examples in the Bible where they seized authority. And usually it's a terrible end. You know, I have absolutely no fear in terms of authority being taken away because authority is delegated and uh, no one can really take it away. I feel bad when churches take away the authority of their leaders. It's a horrible thing to do. It's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. Folks, uh, uh, unless we practice it in small things, no, we won't understand it in the scheme of big things. Simple thing. Um, today, after we finish, there'll be a cake brought out for people's birthdays. You saw how Heidi and Chris did all of this. But strangely enough, five days ago, Heidi called me up to say, would it be okay if I got a cake? I mean, first of all, I didn't even think of the cake or your birthdays. Two, I wouldn't have most probably gone to get it. Three, I don't handle the money in the church, so she would have gone to get it. But after all that, she's still called to ask, would it be okay with you if we got a cake? Then Chris or Heidi asked, would it be okay if we got some bread with these um, uh, Easter thingies on it? Uh, are they asking because they um, shake in fear? Not at all. But it's a principle, folks. And my response was, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in my mind, part of it was, why are you even asking me? But then I realized, no, it's it's not why are you even asking me. It's a principle that's being set, man. In the same way, when I want to spend a money, certain amount of money that is um, sizable, I won't go ahead and spend it without first running it past... Wayne and Chris and Heidi and whoever else may be around the table at that time. I, I bring it up. Why? Because I can't be an authority unto myself either. These are principles. If we put them in right now, I'm telling you, man. The house begins to prosper and the people in the house begin to prosper. I'd suggest to you that even if a set man commits adultery, don't touch the ark to steady it. Let me say that again. Even if a set man or the father in the house commits adultery, do not touch the ark to steady it. If necessary, you resign and leave. But please don't force the resignation of the set man in the house. David had a chance to take Saul out once, twice, three times, and he would step back and say, nope. And the crown did come to David at the right time, folks. You know, when the Bible says, do not entertain any accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses. It was not so that, let's get two or three witnesses and force his resignation. It was, let's get two or three witnesses to show that he sinned. And now that he has sinned, let us now discipline him and restore him. That's why it was done. Not to force resignations. But we force pastors to resign, not for adultery, for much lesser crimes. Unfortunately, I have, to some extent participated in some of these sins against set men in my past. By either being neutral or being on the wrong side. The other sin against the set man is exposing the set man's nakedness. Exposing the set man's nakedness. And what I mean by that Remember that story in Noah where Ham walks in and sees Noah lying naked and um, he goes, tells his two brothers that, hey, hey our dad is lying naked. And the brothers, when they hear it, walk in backwards so that they won't see. See, sometime, it is important that in a house people have access into each other's lives. But once I have access into your life and you have access into my life, you must be careful and I must be careful not to expose your weaknesses to others. I should not go around saying, you know, Wayne, yeah, Wayne's this, but in this area, no, 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 no. Wayne is not your topic or my topic of conversation. Unless it is absolutely important for me to tell you. And I've done this to folks. I've exposed people's nakedness before others without reason, cause or necessity. And as sons, you are not to expose the nakedness of your father. When a father gives you the uh, right, as every child should have, to access a father, then the weaknesses should not be gone around. This is where prayer meetings get dangerous in churches where they begin to pray for the pastor. That's not prayer, that's exposing a father's nakedness. And the third one where th- i'm sure there are other areas too but these are the three main areas where churches stumble which i pray we won't stumble money measures money measures we talked about how uh, a week or two weeks ago we talked about how one of the ways we honor set a set man or an ec- or someone sent by god or a father is through uh, esteem care money and hospitality esteem care money and hospitality. You'll find this in your notes from last week. Folks, imagine this, okay? Who here has a garden? Joan has a garden, a few of you have a garden. Let's assume you you grow grapes in your garden. And after growing, Wayne and Bernice have garden, after you grow grapes or tomatoes in your garden, you go and pluck the grapes to eat it and I immediately say, we've got to bring a disciplinary committee together because we have to censure her for eating of the fruit of her own tree would you do that it sounds ridiculous to go up to Gisela who grows beans in her backyard and say how dare you eat of the beans you just planted get a disciplinary committee together we've got to censure her but but guess what and we'll talk about the sins of the set man later but guess what churches censure the pastor for touching Money that they have not allocated in their budgets and stuff like that. There are pastors who have lost their jobs. There are pastors who have immediately gotten a bad reputation because they, they ate of the very tree that they planted. And the Bible says this in First Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says, why is it that we cannot partake of the very thing that we have sown and planted? What value are you going to put on being delivered from demons? what value are going are you going to be are you going to put on a prophetic word coming through a man or a woman of god what value are going are you going to put when god uses a man to touch you and you be healed what value can you put on what bread is being broken over the last 3 weeks in this house what value can you put on it how much is the person worth 1000 2000 3000 4000 what value can you put on it paul says you cannot that if If a person sent by God has sown into your life spiritually then it is okay for the person to reap of you materially. 1 Corinthians 9 7. I am preaching from scripture folks. But we have taken men of God and done great harm to them because they perhaps went without the permission of the board and bought an extra table. The reason I don't touch the money in this church is simply because I'm not good at touching money. And because, um, no, when I say not touching money, meaning not that something will happen to me, but because um, budgeting is not my thing. And secondly, because no one can ever say that I'm messing around with it. But that perhaps comes from a place where there's a fear that, or oh, people will say it. People should not say it. It comes out of a place of fear. But people should not say. It. We'll talk about the integrity of the pastor later. But we need to understand, as sons and daughters in the house, that you do not. You, you, this is not the way church is. I'm so glad that whenever we have decided what is paid me, first of all, to 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 tie someone to a salary, a contract, is unbiblical. You tr- you tie a hireling to a contract, folks. You you don't tie you don't you don't say, hmm. We got to sit and deliberate how much this person is worth. I've done that too. You you don't tie you don't you don't say, hmm. We got to sit and deliberate how much this person is worth. I've done that too. I'm so glad that whenever how much the church gives me a month is decided, it's never um, that much. No, no, let's make it a little less. No, 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 no. Uh, every time it's happened, people have gathered around and said, and they've thrown out a figure, and surprisingly, the other person was thinking of the same figure and stuff like that. And you you, you know, when we started, uh, I wasn't, we were only two people, so it was not like you could uh, give anything. But every now and then, Um, Heidi or Wayne or Chris and a few others will come and say, we got more money in the church, we'd like to give you some more. That's the way it's supposed to work. When I went for a pastor's meeting, someone asked me, have you you made sure that you have a contract? Because once things begin to turn wrong, you could be in a deep hole if you don't have a contract because you'll have nothing to stand on. And I was thinking, I said, that would be so absurd if I... (laughs) got into a contract. Go ahead, Matt. The scripture says, do not muzzle an ox that is treading grain. And a person who um, uh, is working amongst you, especially in breaking of bread, is worthy of double honor. That's what it says. Yeah, and Paul says, do you think God was concerned about ox when he was talking about that? No. it's exactly what he was saying. Unbiblical to tie salary or contract or try to deliberate the worth of a person. How do you measure spiritual benefit? We have to shift from job to father and son in the minds of both the set man and the house this house has done well in this matter i mean when um, uh, sometimes we have given speakers who come 4000 dollars folks 5000 is the m- is the budget of the church every month and we have given 4000 dollars sometimes to speakers uh, you know how that has come about sitting around a table and saying you know i'd really like to give this person this much and everyone will say yeah i think we should that's how things are to be decided making room for the voice of the Spirit of God. Because you cannot measure it, folks. Questions? Don't be afraid to ask. I realize that I'm the one speaking this and it looks like it's to my advantage but with the last part we'll deal with that and then we'll conclude. Any questions? Don't feel afraid to ask. It can be very profitable being a speaker. Yeah. Listening Listening is beneficial and there is no value you can place on it. I mean, how much will you pay me for this? How much? Ten thousand? Twenty thousand? These are eternal principles. How can you How can you ever put a value on an eternal principle established by God? You cannot. You cannot. You know you. Uh, I, I, I would go it could it would it could well be possible that next by the end of April I may have one and a half million dollars and please trust me, I'm not using this as an example I'm not trying to I'm saying it could well be i'm I'm talking about the truth folks. it could well be possible but that by the end of April I may have a million and a half dollars but guess what even if I had a million and a half dollars, this house should still make sure that the set man in the house is honored. After that, I can take it and if necessary, return it to the house. But the house should still make sure that the principle of honor is maintained because the house prospers. Because there was a time when when I began to know that yes, God is going to send whatever money is required for me to both live and to travel and to distribute, that I'll tell Acts 29, I don't need uh, um, the money that Acts 29 gives me every month. And the Lord corrected me said, no, you are not to take away a principle. You can do with it what you want after you receive it, but you are not to undermine the principle. It may occur to us when I'm speaking like this, that it is to the set man's advantage, this message. And it's not to the house's advantage. Tino and I were sitting and talking about this in the coffee shop. I want us to know that if the set man is a type of Elijah, then the sons are a type of Elisha. And what did Elisha get? A double portion, folks! If the set man is Elijah, then the sons of the house are Elisha. And a double portion is in every area of your life. My only caveat, which is again uh, something that came up when Tina was talking about this, is that um, Elisha's can leave early. And when they leave early, they will have strong ministries. But it will only be half the potential that it could have had. The reason Elisha got a double portion was because he stuck on with Elijah. He stuck on with Elijah and then at the right moment, it was his time to be released. I would say, be very aware of when is the right time to leave, folks. Because there is a time when you may part ways. But make sure it is a God time because otherwise you will go and you will do well. But you will be at half your potential because the double had not happened yet. Just be aware of that. Because Ryan will leave the house at some point. He's not going to stay with them for the rest of his life. I can see them breathing a sigh of relief. But (laughs) (laughs) but he will leave the house at some point. So everyone has a time appointed. But make sure it's at the right time. Otherwise you operate at half your capacity. You will do well, but it's still half capacity. Finally, sins of the set man. And we'll stop with that. Because we don't have anything else for today. <laughs> sins of the set man. I, wo- I would like to call it, I'm calling these sins syndrome with an S N S I N D R O M E. The first syndrome is the Cephas, C-E-P-H-A-S, Cephas syndrome, C-E-P-H-A-S, Cephas is another name for Peter. I just thought Cephas rhymes better with sin than Peter. Cephas syndrome, it's from Galatians 2.14, where Peter comes and uh, he begins to sit with the Jews instead of sitting with the Gentiles and eating because he didn't want to be associated with the Gentiles and didn't want to practice the truth. And the sins of the set man is when a set man refuses to repent before the leadership of, and then the church after he's implemented inaccuracies. Let's assume I do something or teach something that is wrong. If I don't come first and repent to the leadership of the church and say, guys, what I taught was wrong, what I did was wrong. If I don't do that, And if I don't, after that, come to the church and say, guys, what I did was wrong, what I thought was wrong, then I am, that's the sin of the set man. You are supposed to come and repent before the church. And you can call me on this, guys. If you think I'm in error, you first have to come and discuss it with me. If I say no, then if you think there is someone else who has seen my error, bring the other person too. Because you need more than two or more. And then if I don't, take it to the other leaders in the house and then Jacob now has a choice either he will stand and he will repent of what is wrong have it, it being established through scripture or now Jacob needs to be disciplined by the house and if Jacob refuses to be disciplined then you should not force him out, you should leave And God help Jacob if he doesn't uh, discipline. If he doesn't respond to discipline. It's a frightening place when a a set man chooses to be aggressive and arrogant and doesn't doesn't repent. Second, Gehazi syndrome. Gehazi syndrome. Gehazi, G-E-H-A-Z-I. All the scriptures for these are given on top of the page. Gehazi syndrome is when the set man lacks integrity. And he gives up the call of God on his life for wealth or money, for silver. Here's a strange thing, folks. Elisha was to Elijah what Gehazi was to Elisha. Meaning, let's you Kamal was Elijah. I'm Elisha and Ryan is Gehaz. No, let me make Ryan Elisha. Kamal is Elijah, Ryan is Elisha, I'm Gehazi. Kamal gives Elisha a double portion. I would have got a double portion from him which means I'd have had four times the strength on his life. I squandered that. For what? For two talents of silver. And there are many men and women of God who lack integrity and have squandered the God call on their lives for wealth. Money is not for falling in love with Money is to reform things, to change things when it comes into a church. Money is not to fall in love with, but to reform and change things. But that we'll talk with another time when we talk about wealth and the church. Next syndrome is Ahaz. 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 A H A Z. Ahaz syndrome. This is when a set man changes the structure, changes God ordained structures to gain advantage for the house. He changes God ordained structures to gain an advantage for the house. Uh, What I mean by that is, see Ahaz was a king in Israel. You know what he did? He went to Damascus. When he went to Damascus, he saw a beautiful altar and he looked at the altar and he thought, man, this altar is so good looking. I got to put it in the temple. And this altar was to some pagan God. So he calls his designer and he says, take the design, go build it in the temple. They take the altar and build it in the temple next to the altar that God had ordained. And guess what? He's offering sacrifices to the God of Abraham, but he's offering it on the wrong altar. Sometimes a set man can offer the right sacrifice on the wrong altar. And that's a sin. You want to hear some such sins? Seeker friendly. Christ is still the sacrifice but he's being offered on the altar of seeker friendly. Or oh, when you dilute a message so that more and more people will come. Seeker-friendly churches are churches that won't necessarily preach the truth the way it should be spoken. It will dilute it so that people can come and hear and they won't be offended. Feel-good message. That's one example where, you, where it's the right sacrifice on the wrong altar. Another, um, uh, another uh, example, prosperity preaching just just tell everybody, speak the right thing say the right thing and a car will be yours, gold will be yours it's still Jesus will give you but it's preaching Jesus on a wrong altar um, positive thinking, turn on a crystal cathedral, you'll see that think positively, think positively and everything will be okay, Jesus is still mentioned but it's again the wrong altar right sacrifice on the wrong altar seeker friendly. See, what will happen then is it will bring people both into, it will bring the world to the church, but it will also bring the world into the church. Two things happen. People will flock like crazy. It will bring people into the church, but it will also bring the world into the church. It's a mixed multitude. That's one of the sins a a set man commits. So if you see me doing that, then you need to Take note of that. That okay, you're sacrificing you're, it's a right sacrifice. You are mentioning Jesus, but the altar is wrong because the setup now is wrong. You gotta come and stop that. The son the sun should come and say. The other next syndrome is Nimrod. Nimrod. Nimrod syndrome. Nimrod is when a set man begins to control the house through charisma. Through intimidation. Folks, the moment you feel fear in this house, something is very, very wrong. If for a moment you feel fear in this house, that if I do not do this, Jacob will, or the leader will, or the church will, something is wrong. It has to be out of complete freedom. Or if charisma or persuasiveness pushes you back into a corner something is wrong in Luke 22 verse 23 Jesus said there are rulers who come and they act like benefactors like they're doing you a big favor when you see leaders like that remember they are not exactly who I want them to be they're not my type of leaders he called them benefactors What happens in churches like that is all the people start looking like the leader. You become clones. And the same mentality is transferred. If I rule through control, I guarantee you, you will control the ones below you. Because control is a thing that passes from one person to the other. The last two points, and this is a really strange one. It's called, I don't know if you've heard of this word. N E H U S H T A N. N E H U S H T A N. It's in the Bible. Anyone knows what it is? Nehushtan. Pardon? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, strangely enough, remember that time when people rebelled against God? And. Uh, Uh, God said, okay, um, put up a bronze snake. And uh, because fiery serpents had started going and uh, biting people, and Moses puts up a bronze snake. And he said, if you look at the snake, you will be healed. And the whole idea was that Christ was again put up on the cross. He becomes sin. We look at him and we are sinless. It's the same concept. But what happened was that Israel took that bronze snake, and called it Nehushtan and started offering worship to it. It's in the Bible. Ne- uh, snake-like or s- s- something to do with a snake. I don't remember the exact, but because a ser- serpent was n- known as an evil thing, they called it Nehushtan, so it would be a little more palatable. S- it's in uh, Second Kings eighteen uh, four. The the why do I call it the Nehushtan syndrome? because sometimes what happens with the set men in the house is they take a subject and the subject becomes more important than the substance they take a subject and the subject becomes more important than the substance they take a subject and the subject becomes more important than the substance let me give you an example we could go get so hung up on this apostolic stuff that all we do is apostle apostle apostolic till we tongue twist ourselves that is when a subject becomes more important than the substance. Let me give you other example. Curses. Oh, you got this curse in your life. Uh, 10th generation, 15th generation, 3rd generation, 4th generation. Yes, curses may exist. But please, let's not make our entire lives about curses. That's when the subject replaces the substance. I might sin. It's because of a curse that my father inherited from his great-grandfather. Give me a break. At some point, this has to end. There is a place for this, folks. I'm not saying no. You know we've talked about this. But when the subject takes over the substance of things. And I've done that too. Warfare. Spiritual warfare. Warfare is not about geography. Warfare is about intimacy. End times. Ministries would run dry if end times wasn't the subject. All the people who prospered in the year 2000, Y2K, subject replaces substance. Communion that we have right now, breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, that could become a subject for us and we would lose out on the substance. We could get so hung up with practicing it every day and every week, that even that could become a subject and we could lose out. In this particularly, be careful of the set man in this house, meaning I'm talking about me. Be careful. If you sense that that is happening, and you need to sense it from the Lord, then you need to come and tell me. Because in a time of new teachings, it is easy to get hung on a subject. Fortunately, God has been leading us. uh, um, Uh, in our conversations um, uh, one of the topics that came up was first God brought us to Christ's life then he brought us to the whole topic of Zion and now he's taking us here it's just progressive, we never planned this but if at any point we get hung up on any of these things that would be trouble and the last syndrome is uh, Cain the Cain syndrome C-A-I-N the Cain syndrome And the Cain syndrome is simply this, folks. Cain, Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, while Cain was uh, casual about his sacrifice and brought that which did not find much value before God. And this is something that a set man can easily fall into, where he begins to regurgitate other people's teachings or build the house with hay and straw that he gathers during the week from different places without any effort or he has to go and mine and extract gold, diamonds and silver to build a house out of. And you will know. You will know when the set man of the house is just regurgitating something he has heard and gathered from different places. And you will know when it's actually extracted. And when you find that the set man of the house is beginning to just haphazardly try to build a house with hay and straw gathered from the fields as he's walking around, be careful because a house that's built out of hay and straw will eventually be burnt and nothing will remain if you don't have any questions we'll pray for Rosalind, Chris and Heidi please don't not ask questions because it's 110, just ask before you go you're not coming back this evening any questions pardon Just no down that for prayer on Monday. If you come tomorrow, Matt, just remind me again. Guys, any question on what we've done thus far? No questions. Please don't be intimidated. Okay, during the week, if you, go ahead. something leadership or they, you and, they go all those steps and, and you're absolutely convinced that, that what you're hearing is from God everything else is wrong, what, what happens then? everybody and then okay here's a question if over the uh, if if I were to feel that God was saying something while uh, the rest of you feel God is not saying it and you come and say it to me, but I'm fully convinced, what should you do? Should you leave or how does it work? First, I'd answer that by saying, given the principles we've put in thus far, it's going to be almost impossible for us to be at such loggerheads where I'm hearing one thing and you're hearing another thing. It's because once you put in principles, these things are completely nullified in a sense of speaking. That's one. Two, uh, let's assume I was wrong then I have a feeling knowing knowing what God's doing in my life that perhaps I would listen to you or at least think again and go back to the drawing board and say, Father, there, everybody thinks otherwise. How come I'm thinking this way? Three, given the trust that is beginning to develop in this house, I believe that the house would give me more room because you would expect that Jacob may be hearing God right, but you would still be careful. For after all that, if I was wrong, then I would suggest that, yeah, you should say, Jacob, if you do not change, we are not able to be with you on this one, simply because we do not think this is the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it will get that far, because the principles have already been set. The beautiful thing about this house that I really like, is that we are becoming a community that can hear God, and it is not based on one person. And I always keep going back to that one instance where we had to make a major decision of moving and I did not hear it. And yet not for a moment did I suspect or doubt that the others had heard it. Why? Because I was confident that this house is beginning to learn how to hear. So it did not matter that I didn't... I didn't go back to God and say, Father, six of them heard it, but I am the pastor. How come you didn't speak to me? Is this really you? Never even occurred to me set in the principles, and we avoid pitfalls. Any other questions? Okay. Let's just pray for Heidi and Chris and Rosalind, if you guys want to come up. Okay. Let's just pray for Heidi and Chris. And then we'll pray for Rosalind. Father, you know, someone went for one of the other services on Good Friday, and when I asked them, so how was the service? They said, it didn't feel like one because it got over in about an hour and a half. I thought that was funny. I'm sorry.